Football is back, and right now Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day, and with Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Oh, I say! It's amazing! He does it tame and tame and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! Where does the design of modern match balls go next? Was the Mitre Moldmaster the worst football of all time? Are we about to witness the death of knuckleball? And, quite simply, what are microflaps? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Access to The Athletic is currently free for 30 days, taking through to the end of the Premier League season. Go to theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod. Joining me this week, a lineup 30% more aerodynamic than any previous cliches lineup. First of all, Charlie Eccleshare, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? Very well. Also, Sam Lee. Hello. Uh, are you looking forward to the uh, the Guard of Honour at the Etihad on Thursday? That should be quite fun. Why are we obsessed with Guards of Honour? It feels like it feels like an extension of handshake gates. It's like classy touches. Column inches to fill, that's why. It is a bit, isn't it? Oh, Man City are going to do a Guard of Honour. Well, of course they are. Everyone's going to like That's just normal, isn't it? Have you affected rage yet, Sam? Do you? Does it bother you? The Danny Murphy thing was incredible. Like the fact that it was Danny Murphy who said there's going to be Liverpool players walking out who aren't fit to lace Kevin De Bruyne's boot. It's ridiculous <laughs> that De Bruyne has to clap them on. Mm. It's like okay, maybe if they got like Mike Summerby to say that, fair enough. But like Danny Murphy saying that about Liverpool and Man City was just really weird. There have been guards of honour where the players coming out haven't been fit to lace the boots of those who are applauding them. I believe I think it was Man United in yeah Chelsea 2000. yes in 2007. Yeah, they sent out the likes of Dong Fanju. <laughs> to be applauded by uh, your Lampards and your Terrys. You know, it was actually quite a classy bit of mischief on Man United's part, I think. That feels like, yeah, exactly what you should do with that. Um, mm. If you're getting that guard of honour, have a bit of fun with it. Is it a classy touch or is it a nice touch? I feel like we, we, should always, <laughs> we should always certify these things whenever they crop up. I think it's a nice touch. No, it is. It's a classy yeah, touch, isn't it? Uh, but is it? Is it... Mm. It's not really Threshold. voluntary. I mean, you, you kind of have it's, to yeah, it's do like, it. Yeah, it's an obligation now, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't I think feel that like... matters when it comes to classy touches. The effort that you went to, yeah, the decision you made, is it completely irrelevant to classiness of touch? Mm. I, I honestly think. So I think this veers more towards the classy than nice because yeah. it's only, only it would only ever happen once a year. I feel like they might have to do something more than just the guard of honour for it to be a classy touch. I'm not sure what that would be, but, you know, 
having some sort of t-shirt saying congratulations <laughs> Liverpool or something. <laughs> I, I, I just don't know if, if this is uh, this is classy That would enough. be too classy if they did that. That would be oh, genuinely yeah, like, classy. If they offered them a little gift or something like that. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be too classy. I think that would be the first time we would ever go beyond the threshold of classiness. Charlie, you've probably been covering this extensively. Uh, the world's most expensive sheepdog has been sold <laughs> for £19,000. A border collie from Brecon. Just sold, sold for just over £19,000. The 19-month-old, uh, called Ellen Valley Sally, was bought by an unknown buyer at the Farmer's Mart online seller Dolgethley, I believe it's pronounced, uh, in Gwyneth. There's no way to prove uh, that. That, sort of, no, I mean, <laughs> that's what, that dog is a serious price tag around its neck. How's it going to live up to that, Charlie? Yeah. Well, the thing is, it didn't decide that price tag. You've got to remember that. You know, it's yeah. it's just there to do a job. Um, it's, the, the dog itself is not saying uh, he or she is worth it. So it's just between the two he's... farmers. It's just for the two farmers yeah. to worry about, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that's that's <laughs> up to them. How good? How good, Sam? Do you think that dog is at shepherding? Like, what Premier League striker do you think that they could oh. shepherd? No, what? Yeah, what Premier League striker do you reckon they could hold off as they shepherd the ball out of play? How good could that dog be at that shepherding? Mm. Would yeah, and Andy Carroll. I'm thinking Andy Carroll's fresh wow. on my mind because mm. you know City kind of kept him away from the box of the day, and I'm thinking if you're spending twenty grand on a dog, you'd want him to be able to yeah keep keep the opposition out. But what I'm worried about here is the market being inflated for these dogs because it was only a few months ago that somebody paid about five hundred quid less. So now I'm thinking sheepdog prices are going to be. Spiral well, the average price—the average price for a sheepdog is about two thousand. So mm. they're they're paying well over the odds. But that's that's what you that's what you got to pay these days. Mm. Britain aren't producing sheepdogs in the same numbers as they were before. Actually, there is always that premium, isn't there, on British players? Oh British yeah, dogs. exactly. Yeah, because you've got to fulfil your homegrown quota of of sheepdogs. You have to go back to nineteen thirty-two for for the first footballer to to cost that much money. It's Bernabe Ferreira, of course. Famously mm. moved from Tigray to uh, River Plate, uh, £23,000. Allowing for inflation, that's actually now uh, £1.6 So, um, So, the, yeah, the sheepdog It's scary to think where the has... dog market could be in <laughs> I know. I know. It's going to go silly, crazy numbers for for, um, for sheepdogs. Secondly, on, on, on the subject of um, <laughs> dutiful players uh, perhaps being transferred, uh, Sam, uh, Kieran Devlin wrote a piece this week... Um, about Celtic's goalkeeping dilemma because uh, Fraser Forster, it looks like he's going back to Southampton to fight for his place. And that puts him in a bit of a pickle. But then uh, the prospects he presented in, in the halfway down the article suddenly just lit a light bulb above my head, which was Joe Hart to Celtic. Imagine. It's so, it's so perfect. It I feel like perfect. he's already played for them. Yeah, and it, it feels really patronising, though, to say, oh, yeah, it's a really good move for him, that, because, like, clearly everyone's accepting these... He's not as good as he was. He's not going to get another good move. So it's like, oh, yeah, he can just go to like a club in Scotland that rightly or wrongly feels it's big. And it is a big club, but it's almost <laughs> oh, like, well, just go there and enjoy yourself and get back to playing football again. Yeah, rightly, rightly a big club. Celtic has got career kickstart written all over it, though, hasn't well, it? Well, this is it. Like, he forced us going back to Southampton now. It's like, right, I've done my time. Because like, he, he was doing like it must be great playing for Celtic. It must be great playing for Rangers. <laughs> There's so many fans in saying like it's it's huge. It's this massive bubble you're in. You become mm. like a genuine hero to so many to so many like passionate fans. It must be great. But the fact that Force is like okay, I'm going to go and have another go at Southampton now. Just kind of sum mm. up where Hart is in his career. But the other thing about this is 
Like the other week, Celtic were linked with Claudio Bravo. So who on earth is sorting out their transfers? Because that is literally <laughs> the whole City 2016 dilemma. Like you can't you can't be in the market for both. It's like when you want a new manager and you're interviewing like Sam Allardyce and Pochettino. Like you just you've <laughs> got no idea what you want. It sounds like they're, they're doing what I do when I need to find out the name of a player, which is to scroll down the list of um, available players on Fantasy Premier League and until so you get to the position you need. Charlie, can you imagine just how pumped up Joe Hart would be in the tunnel before an old firm derby? He'd be issuing all the classics. It would be straight in, start early. I do like Joe Hart. I've got a certain fondness for him. He, To me, mm. he always had a kind of uni first team keeper vibe to him, who you can imagine <laughs> sort of swaggering around on the, on the Wednesday night when it was all the... All, all the sports teams out and I, I, mm. I quite like that about him there was something quite familiar and, and I do find his career trajectory fascinating that he yeah. I mean like I interviewed Paul Robinson recently and it was a similar kind of thing of you know being England's number one and being thought to be this great keeper and then it felt like very quickly things changed and I mean Sam you'll obviously have seen this up close but I mean Hart there was that whole thing I think We've spoken about this before in this pod that he couldn't dive to either his left or his right. Down to the left. I yeah. get that. I completely get that. I'm five side. I'd rather dive one way than the other. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. totally understand it. It just seemed like a pretty big glitch to suddenly discover in a keeper. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, he can only dive one way. Like, just make sure one-handed. he stands really fast. That's very right. Sunday yeah. mornings, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've, I've got us a keeper, but he, he's sort of injured his left hand, so he can't really dive that way. Is that all right? But yeah, yeah, we just need a keeper. We're on to the, to the real meat and potatoes of, of this podcast, which we're talking about footballs, the most fundamental object in the game, Sam. And in particular, the new Nike flight ball, which has been announced as the, the new Premier League official ball from the 2020-21 season, whenever that it'll be. As always, it, it comes accompanied with some absolutely impenetrable jargon. As this podcast ought to do, we should delve into this and, and really kind of pick it all apart. I'll give you the first bit of um, marketing speak. It incorporates Nike's new Aerosculpt technology, and the ball delivers a measurable benefit of 30% truer flight than its Nike predecessor. Sam, I feel like they're in a kind of personal dilemma here where they have to claim that their new product is perfect, but the only way they can do that is compare it to their old product and then therefore say that their old product wasn't perfect, even though they previously said that their old product was perfect. Quite a, quite a difficult job. And 30% is quite a big claim. It's not like 99.8% of germs <laughs> up to 99.9%. It's like, that is a lot. Like, how, how are we going to have a problem here? Like, a... Premier League football is not going to be able to adjust. 30% sounds like a lot. It sounds like the balls are going to be flying all over the place. I do worry about the, the Premier League goalkeepers, Charlie. This feels like something that they're going to whinge about at some point in early August. Certainly going to be a talking point, isn't it? And this links mm. back to that Robinson Hart goalkeeper uh, dilemma. I mean, I remember Robinson before the 2006 World Cup was talking about that ball and how much it moved. We've spoken about on the goalkeepers episode, you know, that we... We don't really know so much about how goalkeepers operate, but we can find solace that we can talk about the balls and how much they move and how that makes life difficult for goalies. So so maybe this will help in that regard. I'm slightly troubled by this end, this kind of pursuit of perfection when it comes to uh, how the ball flies, Sam, because surely as they get closer to what they perceive to be a truer flight for the ball, that will simply be a different flight than we're all used to for the last 20, 30 years. So what is a true flight of a ball? Surely we're all used to how a ball should behave, you know, with the odd exception, say, the Jabulani or something like that. So surely 
the more they change the flight of a ball, the more weird it's going to get for everyone. Goalkeepers, fans, everybody. Yeah, and it's like imagine, you know, that goal Messi always scores when he just he's on the edge of the box and he passes it into the mm. corner with his left foot. Like is that suddenly just not mm. going to work now? Like is that is that <laughs> level of is that level of curl that he's put on it just no no longer enough? But it's not true. Yeah, yeah. Um, what 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 trajectory of a ball is simply not true or all deflected goals could simply not going to happen anymore because they considered to be fa- you know, fake news. I really like the idea that a whole potential subgenre of goals might just be completely eliminated by it by a new ball just on the subject of this mad language how are you spelling aerosculpt aerosculpt is spelled a-e-r-o-w capital s c-u-l-p-t so it's aero but that's a bespoke nike thing it looks like for yeah, the capitalization of the a and the what, s but what is it like what are they, what are they doing like no what no wonder the press releases are so mad when like that, that this is what they're calling the technology like is it so it's it's like an arrow, but there's the air element as well. And it's sculpted, Sam. What about that isn't clear? <laughs> yeah, but if your mind was finding it hard to, to get itself around that one, it is. Um, Charlie, how about this? The Nike flight ball uses the 3D ink layout to strategically print micro flaps along the Nike aerosculpt, dragging off of aerospace principles and further optimising aerodynamic <laughs> stability. What does that, what that mean? What are micro flaps? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I mean, first of all, first of all, uh, in amongst all that fairly, fairly standard and fairly impressive in a subconscious kind of way, uh, marketing speak, they've they've gone for the phrase microflaps. Someone somewhere with a straight face has gone. Let's call them microflaps. Which makes you wonder what they were called before that that was deemed <laughs> the kind of sensible, more comprehensible concept. Well, maybe yeah. the flaps previously were just too big, but now they've managed to reduce mm. the size of the flaps. We're being quite naive to assume that in 2020, after, what, 150 years of codified association football, that we have reached the optimum size of, of, of a flap on a football. Um, mm. It might take another 150 years to reach optimum micro flaps. Maybe mm. there'll be, I don't know, I don't know. It might not be our generation, but hopefully our, our grandchildren at least will be able to benefit from the appropriate size flaps. <laughs> but- what? But I mean, it's, it, it, like I, all sorts of products evolve. I understand this, and 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 you know, endless research will always kind of refine these things. But maybe in like a hundred years' time, a football will look completely different. Like it will start off with micro flaps, and then in a hundred years, there'll be just huge flaps on the side of the ball, and then they'll they'll claim that it's something like the bird's wings, and that will be the truest flight, and it won't be a ball at all anymore. Um, I, I joke well, yeah, and I exaggerate, but there's absolutely no reason why why a product couldn't evolve like that over 150 years. I'm fascinated to know how they will end up being if we think now balls from 100 or so years ago and they're museum items and they're so heavy and you think how on Mm. earth are these used well there's every chance that we you know in 100 years time we will look back on these micro flaps and an aerosculpt <laughs> technology in a museum somewhere and think, I can't believe in 2020 they had such primitive micro flaps. Mm. Well, I mean, again, we're being very flippant about this, obviously. But, but Sam, there's some serious work that's gone into this ball. It's been honed over eight years and with 1,700 hours of testing. Now, that number means absolutely nothing to me. I can't work out what 1,700 hours is. That's like when they measure like <laughs> a striker's goal drought in minutes. And I just, I, I don't... You know, or yeah. they measure it in hours or days, and I just think, well, is that a long time? I've got no idea. I've worked it out actually. Seventeen hundred hours works out over eight years. Works out at about um, twenty six point five working days per year. So they've just they've just spent a month a year testing it. That doesn't sound very much. Perhaps they should have worked harder. They could have done it in a year. Maybe they've spent eight years or seven years designing it 
on their aero track technology <laughs> and then they've had the 17 hours of testing over the co- or over the course of about three months and they're like right we really need to test this and get it done intense and testing. you can't imagine the state of these balls flying around at nike warehouse so they did of course test this ball with a robotic boot which i'm sure is a, is the truest um, kick of a ball that anyone has ever seen i wonder if that was modeled on anyone if you had to model a, ro- a robotic leg to kick a ball to test it over eight years and 1,700 hours, who would you be? I'd go for Nicky Summerby, the former record holder for the fastest shot ever. It just reminds me of Mike Bassett, England manager, when they've got all those different modes. Oh, doesn't it always? And, w- and one of them is Mark Lawrenson. It's like a skill thing, and it's like Pele Maradona and Mark Lawrenson, and it's just like b- doing bog-standard keepy-uppies <laughs> on, on his knee. I don't even want someone more metronomic, um, like a Tony Kroos or a Xabi Alonso or someone like that, if, if you just I want think- something to... If you want consistency... Yeah, clean technique. You want a robotic boot with Pauser. Yeah. Yeah, one a robotic boot that simply stops and assesses his options before it gets the ball. That's what should happen. Absolutely, I completely agree. Harry's sponsors Football Clichés, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit... Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. As a listener of Football Clichés, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash football cliches right now. That's harrys.com forward slash football cliches. It's fascinating how these innovations, these tiny little innovations in, in footballs are, are quite interchangeable because it, it seems to me, Sam, that it's going to be it's going to be a fairly monochrome ball. It might have a little sort of detail here and there, but it's going to be a, a black design on, on a white ball, just like the, the good old days. It looks a little bit like the sort of late 90s Nike ball. I remember sort of Barcelona playing with, but with this, you know, absurd texture on it. But... That flies in the face of everything that Nike had previously said about their sort of multicolored balls, and they they used to come out with claims like you know, the, the the multicolored flash casing, which will lead to instant recognition of the ball in the air. So have they what they thrown all that away? We don't need to recognize a ball anymore. Sorry guys, you all know what a ball looks like now. We're going to take the color away. I remember iPhone when like smartphones were becoming <laughs> a thing. They were like. It's actually the size of your hand, so you don't need to like mould your thumb to get into mm. the top corner of it. And obviously, that's mm. gone well out the window because everybody <laughs> wants a big screen. It's just yeah, it's, it, they're just moving with the times. There's one actually interesting thing that I would like to throw in here. I was mm. reading a report of the again the Man City Newcastle game of the weekend, and the City players were doing drills where the the fitness coach was throwing balls up in the, into the air, and the City defenders just heading them away. But that was to yeah. like so they could get used to. Like the ball on the background of the empty seats because it looks it looks different now and especially I oh, think wow. maybe at Newcastle with it being black and white, but yeah, basically yeah they they had yeah they had, they had to train for that because the stadiums are in a different way so this this monochrome ball could could cause trouble but it, it it is actually really nice it's also like yeah that Barcelona football but the the golf ball from the Tiger Wood the famous Tiger Woods master's mm. shot that just stayed on the lip for a second with a little knife tick on it i'm sure i had a knife tick on it and in then just dropped in life, it's very similar that to that yeah, yeah, yeah it does look like that yeah it also reminds me charlie of the fabled playground football which was the mitre mold master 
I think we've, we've mm. talked about this before on, on, on the grassroots episode. I think you, your school was so posh that you probably didn't have to play with a Mitre Moldmaster at primary. <laughs> it's a, so, I was at a state comprehensive primary school. Fair enough, fair enough. Sam, any, any, have you ever experienced the, uh, well, the incomparable sensation of Mitre Moldmaster to bare thigh? I don't remember it being called that. I didn't actually look into it, but yeah. and somebody's, Somebody has posted it on, on the reply to your tweets earlier on. Like so, you, you if you're not sure what it is, you can flick through those and get a picture, and you can you can just imagine it like it's a torture thing. But no, our school it was always you couldn't really have footballs that were oversized that were size five, so you'd have to make do with a, either a tennis ball or like a what would be a size one. We used to have some great size one footballs knocking around the early two thousands era, which I'm sure we'll get into mm. our favourite football. Yeah, we had to use like soft balls or tennis balls. It was. Uh real improvisation yeah but it never made it it was always good like i don't remember i don't remember it like making it any less enjoyable it was no it was Do you remember as well that that indoor ball that mitre did it was it was green i think and kind of it was kind of fluffy oh like a tennis ball it was, yeah it yeah, was really good to use it was really good oh yeah do you know what I, I believe that was a glaring omission when we spoke about footballs last time and uh, and it was a absolutely satisfying ball to hit um, yeah. because the obsession these days, Charlie, is with balls that, that kind of grip. So that hence all the you know absurd kind of deep texture on this latest Nike ball, and and you combine that with the grip that's inherent on football beats these days, and it's almost too much grip. Whereas I remember in the old days, you know, the mitre balls being d- delightfully smooth and lovely to play with on a Sunday Sunday morning. And then you had that indoor ball, which was, as you say, a giant tennis ball. But that was, be- it was so nice to volley. Yeah, if I really, remember really rightly. good. It is funny as well, because I remember being at that age, that kind of primary school age, when Mitre were, you know, and, and probably beyond, they were still doing mm. the Premier League balls. And I was impressionable enough to just think, wow, their balls must be so good if they're being used by... Premier League footballers, it really elevated it for me. And then, and there was, there, there was no technological jargon at all back then. They just looked nice. They had really nice yeah, big yeah. chevrons on. They had also that lovely mitre font, and and the whole thing just looked nice. And uh, I really missed the mitre ball. I had one. I got one for Christmas, and I just I refused to play with it outside in case in case I scuffed it. And then eventually got persuaded to, and it lasted about two days on tarmac. Do they still make balls as as much? They, I mean, do they mitre, still? Yeah. Mitre do the they do the Carabao Cup balls. Oh, did they? Oh, good. Yeah. Again, I'm mentioning City again, but like City complained about it a couple of years ago, despite the fact they Ah, won the game and and won. They well, they just win the Carabao Cup every year. But they said it was it was too light and you couldn't control it well enough. So it's it's good that these yeah these ball politics do still come into play. (laughs) Goalkeepers have been complaining about that that ball right up until I think fairly recently Casper Schmeichel gave an interview with um, with the Athletic he said you go to the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup and they are the worst balls ever produced on the planet I, I like that he specified on the planet just in case that any other Spare any balls. other planets have have substandard footballs it has zero grip horrific weighting it weighs a ton and it completely changes the way you play because for example goal kicks or long balls you can't strike it the same way as you can a Nike ball it is really interesting that an unusual situation to be in that, that, that two balls used at the top level can be so different I wonder if it's something we'd notice, like as mm. as laymen, would we notice? Uh, surely not. I don't surely think know so. if you kick a ball every day, like if it's your job and you know all yeah. those ins and outs it's of like all the different given a different pen or a different yeah, keyboard exactly. just, in your case, you writers. Um, 
but yeah, I, I suppose so. But then I, I look back at Sunday League and uh, the odd, odd occasion where you turn up and someone had bought a new ball or the opposition had, had, had got themselves a really nice ball to play with. The morale boost of playing with a decent ball compared to an either cheap or rubbish one or a, or an old scuffed one is immeasurable, Charlie. Yeah. I mean, I remember that journey as a kid when, especially because you play with these balls on concrete and that would just be the worst thing for them in the playground. And they'd, you'd have that excitement, you get the ball, then they'd erode away. And I remember sometimes playing <laughs> with just like the inside of, you know, when the ball goes and then inside there's a kind of smaller ball. bladder. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Like the, de- you know, the desperation and, and having to oh, play with God. that. So that decline, which meant obviously, but, yeah, but, you well, did get a new ball. It was extremely exciting. But before you reach that point, you'd have that terrifying moment where it kind of that that bladder kind of herniated out out of one of the panels. Mm, yes, and then yeah, it exactly. sort of gave this kind of sort of alien style um, yeah, effect. Yeah, yeah. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Sam, I want to talk about um, trajectories more because, uh, as we've established, Nike claimed that this is a 30% truer flight of a ball with this with this new one. But... Um, but as I, as I touched upon earlier, what, what do fans expect from a ball's trajectory? Because I'm getting a little bit, I'm getting a little bit sick of how modern balls are behaving, the way they kind of wave all over the place. That that to me isn't what I grew up, you know, witnessing. I know it's a bit old fashioned, but I, maybe I am looking for a truer trajectory for a ball. <laughs> um, I saw an article this week hooked on the on the on the introduction of this new ball, which was um, claiming that the death of knuckleball free kicks. I'm not too troubled by that because I find knuckleball free kicks actually quite annoying now. I find them a bit 2010s. And also, Sam, what what really annoys me about knuckleball free kicks is that despite them being around for at least 10 years now, co-commentators just can't get over them. And whenever there's a free kick, it's sort of about 30 yards out and they're lining up what is quite clearly one of those straight, punchy free kicks. The co-commentator will have to give us the full Wikipedia page about them, even though we've se- we've all seen them. So, yeah, I think it was, looks like he's going to... That sort of knuckleball technique where they kind of punch through the ball. You know, you're Ronaldo, of course. And I remember Drogba doing that as well. They're kind of yeah, easy to get it up and over that wall. And... It's, it's like they've never seen a free kick before in their lives. They're trying to hit the valve. That's what they're doing. They're trying to hit the mm. valve to get it to move. And yeah, like they they very rarely go in anyway. Obviously, they look great when they do, but yeah, do it, they? It, it wouldn't be a problem at all. Yeah, I think so. Like initially when it happened, but again, we're talking the 2010s. Like that Ronaldo one against Portsmouth. It was like, how, how has he hit that? Yeah. But now it's like, oh yeah, okay. Like De Bruyne's free kick against Chelsea the, the other week was like that was that was weird and interesting because it had the curve and. It had a loaded dip, and it was for miles out as well. That's more interesting than 
than now after 10 years of just hitting it really hard and it kind of I, I don't debate that it was an incredibly good free kick and, and, and technically superb but from an aesthetic perspective I feel like we might have hit the free kick sweet spot around the late 90s with David Beckham if you take his take his free kick against Colombia for example which isn't which isn't the peak of him at his peak of his powers but it, it seems to be the kind of the archetypal Beckham free kick where he curls it over the wall away from the full stretch of the, of the goalkeeper and I feel like that to me is, is a sweet spot of how nice free kicks looked now we are sort of at this kind of almost too technical phase but we're we're way beyond the kind of pre-Beckham era sort of Ronald Koeman style where they were sort of flicking it over the wall which also looked terrible so was, I think we've gone I, way too far it's it's too straight it's too wobbly I don't like it I was revisiting as well and one of my favorite free kicks which was Mikhail Balak in the uh, in Euro 2008 for Germany against Austria and he just smashes one and it just keeps <laughs> rising and rising but until it's oh, Balak corner. Oh, Balak. And I just don't know how you hit a ball that hard and and that high almost, but without just getting under it and it flying over. It's, it's really extraordinary players are able to do that. Like Alan Shearer used to be able to do that, just smash it and it would just keep rising and rising, but stop rising at the perfect point. So what what kind of ball trajectories uh, really tickle your fancy? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a keen fan of the kind of side, out to the side goalkeeper volley clearance that sort of flatly glides through the air big fan of yeah. that yeah yeah and edison and, and allison it seems like brazilian goalkeepers have really sorted that out now because they they've been doing that for a few years and like they've really kind of brought in new trajectories to the english game really it's like what well how's that how has he managed that it's like traveled 80 yards of the pitch but it's it's evaded everyone but it hasn't gone over head height at any point it, i would yeah, watch them just spending yeah, 90 yeah, minutes yeah. tonight just just hoofing the ball to each other that'd be great <laughs> that would actually be that would keep be it to keep it yeah, yeah, yeah. Put this out on Twitter before the podcast, and there was an alarming number of people who declared their love for sort of looping trajectories. Um, I just—it's not for me. I don't—I don't like a looping header. I don't like a looping cross cut yeah. shot. I, I want my—I want my trajectories to be flat, powerful, a and ping, true, yeah, and brutal, and, brain, and lovely. I, I don't mind the odd dink, but yeah, I mean, of course, there's that Hakim Ziyech crossfield pass. Yes. From mm. I don't know when it was, maybe a couple of years ago, which has taken on cult status purely for its camera angle. But yeah, I just I just like to see a ball travel fifty yards in a very very nice way. That one from Van Dyke to Mane at the Allianz Arena mm. as well has a really nice camera angle and it does look amazing. But yeah, with loopy headers, a friend of mine pointed out that like in the early days of Wembley, when they when Wembley was just such a, I mean, some people don't like it now, but there were so many loopy headed goals. I don't know if it's something about the goal nets. <laughs> It's just oh, really, right. it's really unsatisfying. I, I think the most unsatisfying flight of a football, uh, if you take out sort of bobbles and things like that, I think I really dislike free kicks that in swinging free kicks that evade everyone and then just bounce in at the back post, and it just oh, doesn't look like anyone involved had any design it, into it whatsoever. And the goalkeeper just looks annoyed, and the goalkeeper didn't do anything about it, and everyone just looks helpless, and it just rubbish, and I hate it. So that's my least favourite ball trajectory. What's so weird about that as well is in the way that football has these trends, there was a point in like 2002 where that was suddenly quite in. Like I remember Zola scoring <laughs> one against Arsenal yes. and there was like a rash of them. And it was like, how has this suddenly happened? And it was like, yeah, well, there's just nothing a keeper can do because he can't move because if there's a touch. Where does know, he think it's going? Good. Well, I'm... I think wasn't the, the logic was that if he, he can't commit because if mm. he does, then the slightest of touch would wrong foot him. 
Um, yeah. And oh so yeah, I suppose it, if he'd done he that, just, yeah, we, we would have had a rash of goals that ended up with something completely different, and that would be yeah. So they were kind of comical. befuddled. Fair enough. I think I yeah. think Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, did like a knuckleball free kick from that kind of angle, and it went in at the far post. I think that might have been against Portsmouth as well in another game. Mm. So that's combining two two of Adam's least favourite things there. <laughs> <laughs> do the not send him that goal. No, absolutely do not. Don't send it to me ever. It's amazing how, you know, the ball innovation continues apace, but our, uh, the, the banter involved in a ball going way over the bar simply has never moved on. How funny can a ball um, hypothetically going into orbit be, Charlie? <laughs> it's a very good How many banter balls are, are currently circling the earth? Yeah, well, there, there are probably enough memes that would sort of uh, yeah. reflect that. We haven't come up with anything funnier than a ball going into orbit. I've got 35 in my back garden from over the years. <laughs> oh, another postcode. You can say it's, it landed in another postcode. Yeah. I think that's quite good because that's quaint. Postcodes are still a thing. I, I quite like it. It works across generations. Postcode banter, better than orbit banter. Sam, <laughs> yes or no? No. You strike me as an orbit kind of guy, I like actually. the hyperbole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought you might. Thought you might. <laughs> might. I remember sort of early to mid-90s, that the Premier League, official Premier League match ball wasn't even a consistent thing. I remember Chelsea played with an Umbro one. Liverpool had an Adidas Tango as late as 96, I think. So in the kind of the four threes against Newcastle, they were playing with a, they were playing with a, a tango. I like that. That's what I was saying. Lawless earlier. I think that would add another element. It, it would make you know. Go, imagine going up to Burnley and they're playing with like a 19th century really heavy ball. That would be <laughs> why Burnley? Why did you say Burnley? You're going to have Burnley fans just like Middlesbrough fans last week. You're going to have Burnley fans um, on claiming that we're patronising them because they were playing with a 1960s ball. Why would they play with yeah, a 1960s I, ball, Charlie? I guess more that you think of Burnley as a tough place to go. So you know that. That's probably where they manufactured place. the ball. To be fair. If you think it's a tough place to go now, or you know, Stoke <laughs> yeah. on a cold Tuesday night, imagine going and they've got their own bespoke ball that you have to use. Stoke would play with a um, a, a Coke can that's been squashed and then played with for a <laughs> bit on tarmac, so it's got slightly jagged edges. That's what you would get um, at the archetypical Stoke. But of course, we've moved on now. You know, um, Premier League balls are deplinthed, which is the official technical term for how the ball is um, delivered to a match by Mike Dean and Co. Off the ball plinth. The ball plinth, it's, it's such a low-key development in Premier League history, but someone, again, someone somewhere decided that a ball plinth would need to be a thing. Someone somewhere would have to manufacture it and design it. And then someone somewhere every week goes out and places it in front of the tunnel. The ball plinth. We are beyond parody, aren't we, Sam? Yeah, and I'm thinking about it now. I actually like it, but thinking about it now, it's just like a large version of the Man of the, the, Man of the Match trophy that they give out in the Premier League, which is like a... Like a yellow cuboid with purple trim, and it's just a really weird thing that you can't imagine too many footballers giving pride of place, well, pride of place in their homes. Like it, they're all going to turn up on, on eBay in twenty yeah, years. Yeah, I, time I would like actually love to get one just because of the novelty. Of it. Like I'd, I'd much rather <laughs> have one of those than like a bottle of champagne from the nineties or Budweiser <laughs> from the two thousands or something. You'll be like one of those people who have sort of three seats from a from a demolished stadium or a turnstile in their garden, <laughs> yeah. and you're going to have a ball plinth like by your front door or something, just to put your keys on. Oh, you have to have two like though, that. on the outside, mm. and you put plants on top. Yeah, <laughs> and that if, would be quite uh, satisfying if every time if you had your keys and every time you left the house at <laughs> the start of the day you picked them up. Yeah, and really look at camera as way. you go. Yeah, you exactly. Say, yeah. And you, <laughs> Your kids behind you sort of walking out in a line, one of them jumping up to <laughs> yeah. head an imaginary ball. <laughs> I really want a ball plinth in my house. I'm going to run that one past my wife as we as we uh, furnish our new house and hopefully I can get a ball plinth in here. Oh, you've got to get a ball plinth if you're moving out. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. What, what is a house without ball plinth? Other curious anachronisms when it comes to footballs. If I asked you, Sam, Charlie, to draw a ball on a piece of paper for me now, what would you go for? Charlie, presumably you draw the kind of hexagony, pentagony, classic, generic football, right? Yes. I mean, my artistic talents are so bad, I would struggle to do that, but I would certainly try. Yeah. It's actually quite hard to do that. It's actually quite yeah, hard to draw you on, Sam. You can't make them all the same shape. I know, you can't really make all difficult. the hexagons the same shape. They all have to be different. And you end up with like a like a diamond in, in one bit just to kind of make up the gaps. Yeah. Oh, but when you awful. mentioned the mitre ball earlier, I remember when I was a kid drawing pictures, I'd always have just, mm. it would just be a, a white ball with like the, the mitre chevrons on it. But yeah, yeah, but now if you asked me to do it, it, it would be the hexagons, yeah. But well, I mean, the classic generic football has been my conference call doodle of choice for for decades now <laughs> and uh it was only until i um i tweeted about this podcast before we started and i i challenged a few people to um to draw a football from memory not tracing it or copying it or anything like that and, and see if they could do it because I'm, I'm you know it's an omnipresent symbol of football we see it everywhere and yeah, I actually find it quite difficult to draw. And then once, when I had a little closer look at some of these contributions, I realised all you have to do is draw one pentagon in the middle and then lines coming out from each corner and then just draw more pentagons on those uh, at the end of those lines. And that's it. You don't have to draw the hexagons at all. The hexagons simply form themselves. And once I realised that, I'm drawing them all over the place. I've, got, I'm, I've drawn some superb footballs. That's all I'm going to do for the rest of my life is, uh, is, uh, is draw footballs on bits of paper. But... To get to my the point that I really wanted to uh, get to originally, Sam, which was, it's isn't it amazing how that generic old school football, which which I don't think has been seen on a regular basis since probably the late seventies, is still the accepted worldwide universal symbol for football. Well, especially in British culture, there's so many things hanging over from the seventies from our from our mm. parents, and eventually that is going to die out. But uh, yeah, but it's just it's just the old, it's the old thing of we gave football to the world that kind of thing and i know yeah. that the balls they would have you know rolled off ships in peru 150 <laughs> years ago won't have been the same but it yeah, yeah it is still crazy well, i think it must be that just that golden era of you know mexico world cup and that that kind of those kind of patterns it, it's just it's just a hangover from them and like now what's the point even keeping up with it like you, imagine you update with them, <laughs> like, all the road point. signs to keep up with like the latest nike ball it'll be ridiculous Speaking of road signs, actually, that's a very interesting one. Um, that, uh, as as with all these things these days, uh, there was a petition, uh, an official petition to Parliament, to update the UK's traffic signs because all the footballs that are drawn on traffic signs to kind of denote a nearby football stadium or a sort of um, football pitch are geometrically incorrect. They're, they're all wrong. They all look wrong. As you know, as I said, a, a, one of these balls is really hard to draw. As it turns out, all the UK road signs have have drawn them incorrectly. And uh, this guy uh, genuinely has a, ma- a master petition of 22,536 signatures to get the government to change all the road signs in the UK <laughs> um, to properly hexagon stroke pentagon footballs. Uh, it didn't reach the threshold, of course, to be discussed in Parliament, uh, but this was the government's response. The government considers the current football symbol has a clear meaning and is understood by the public. Changing the design to show accurate geometry is not appropriate in this context. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to read the response in full, but uh, that's the, basically the gist of it. Maybe they've got more important things to do. Uh, I don't know. But uh, it's not something I've ever noticed, but maybe it is really irritating. The spherical truncated icosahedron, Charlie, is its official technical name. Yeah, I guess if you were... A, I mean, I can imagine getting disproportionately annoyed by a grammatical mistake. So <laughs> I, can, I can see if you felt the same way about geometry, then yeah, it must be maddening to see, must, to must see that be error really repeated irritating. again and again. But if the government did want someone to do that job, 
I'm the man because I can now draw. I can now draw footballs. It's a real epiphany for me. I'm, I'm so proud of myself. Uh, if lockdown has meant anything for me, it means I can now draw a generic football. We should end this episode by talking about our personal favourite footballs from from our lifetime. Sam, you can go first. You feel quite passionate about this. Yeah. Well, I think the nicest one. If I had to have one on side the plinth outside my house, it would <laughs> it would be you know the, the old Adidas Tango because it's just classic. Yes. But but the one that gives me the warmest feeling for my own childhood is the some as somebody said on Twitter the 2004 to 2006 Premier League ball, which was basically the total 90 ball with a red mm. circle and then like the the black outline, and it changed to um, yellow and blue and black in the winter. Yeah, that that total 90 ball is great. The adverts were great. Everything about it was great, and that was yeah, my was personal ge- peak as a footballer at the age of 15. Yeah, genuinely iconic in a really low key kind of way. Because if if someone asked me to picture an episode of Premier League years, I would I would see that ball flying into a top corner at Porto. Yeah, I think it was, I think like Sen. That. I think it was the Sen goal and the skulls yes. volley against Villa yeah that Iconic. amazing goal of the month month the oh yeah the goal December of the month, month absolutely right Charlie how about you yeah I mean as I said I had a I really do have a soft spot for that um kind of indoor mitre one but and this is maybe a bit of a cliche but I probably would go for like an ultim a Premier League Ultimax one of those mitre mm. kind of mid to late 90s um, when the chevrons were at their biggest yeah, yes, exactly. Um in 99, I think. That's just that was such a yeah, pivotal kind of footballing period for me growing up. So yeah, I think I'd Fair probably enough. go with that. Uh, I would probably I'm going to go for a left field chart. I would go for the official ball for the 1962 World Cup, which was called Mr. Crack. Uh, which I presume didn't like? have micro flaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. On that note, thank you for joining me to talk about balls. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you. And thank you, Sam. Thank you. Bye bye, everybody.